Praise the Lord and pass the ammunition. It's time for the Gun Guy TV Podcast. Hi, I'm Joel Persinger. I'm the Gun Guy. Thank you very much for all of your support of Gun Guy TV and for listening to this podcast. All right, a couple of housekeeping items before we get to Chuck Michelle and the guys from Illinois to talk about what's going on in Illinois with the new anti-gun laws that have been passed there and are now in court. I do want to cover a couple of things real quick. First of all, this podcast is unusual, as are the others that will follow it, many of them, because we recorded them at SHOT Show. And so as a result, I'm not going to do the half an hour free, half an hour on Gun Guy TV crew thing. Each one of these little interviews is about 30 minutes long. So they're going to appear here free for you on your favorite podcast player. However, there will not be a video version on Rumble. The video version can only be viewed on Gun Guy TV crew. So if you want to see the video of the press room and us all sitting around the table and yammering away, then you've got to join Gun Guy TV crew to do that. That helps support the channel. You can go to gunguytvcrew.com if you'd wish to do that. The other housekeeping item I will tell you, housekeeping item? <laughs> the other housekeeping item I will tell you is that we no longer have Second Call Defense as a sponsor. They have been a sponsor for a long time, but they opted out this year, financial issues or whatever. I don't know. But in any case, the only sponsor I now have is my own company, which is Practical Defense Systems. I've got nothing against Second Call Defense. I still use them. I still love them. They're great people, but they're not sponsors anymore. So if you'd like to help out with this, considering I don't make any money off of Gun Guy TV, then consider taking a course with Practical Defense Systems. If you're a security guard, we do all of the training for the security guards in the state of California. If you're a civilian gun owner, we have concealed carry courses for Utah, California, and we're adding a simulator, a law enforcement simulator called a Milo, to our classroom so that we can teach decision-making, de-escalation, and take people through scenario-based training in a safe environment with training guns. And then you can recap and see how well you did. It's an awesome trainer. That training should be up and available sometime beginning of March. So there you go. Lots of training available. Check us out. Practical Defense Systems. You'll find it at pdsclasses.com. There's also a link in the description. Thank you for, for listening to all of that. Let's get to the interview. Um, so we're talking to Chuck Michelle from CRPA. He's a volunteer president of CRPA. He's also the chief counsel. And uh, he's not the chief pilot. That guy works with dirt, piles it here and piles it there. He's also the, uh, the super upper muckety-muck uh, grand poobah at Michelle & Associates, an outstanding law firm that fights for your Second Amendment rights and mine. And then we've got Todd. Todd, what's your last name? Vandermide. Vandermide. Todd is the guy working on the Illinois garbage that you may have seen in the news. We're going to talk about that. And then Eric, what, what is your last name? Uh, Eric Callis, uh, president of Aurora Sportsman's Club and member of the Illinois Gun Rights Alliance. Wow. Why am I talking to these guys? I don't know. They actually, I, I'm the good looking one. I let them do the talking. Oh. We work for him, man. <laughs> <laughs> all right. So first, let's let's, let's talk about since the Illinois stuff has just kind of dropped, and we have all this nonsense with the what they call an assault weapon, and there is no th such thing, by the way. In case you're wondering, it's a made-up term. What's happening with that stupid Illinois law that they did? That's now the California on steroids version of trying to take everybody's rights to have a modern sporting rifle away. Well, they managed to pass it in uh, under 48 hours. And Which means nobody read it. 
Uh, Chuck, see, I'm, Chuck's I'm, over here I'm going, no, nobody read this stupid thing. I'm trying to figure out if they didn't read it or they're actually that stupid. Uh, however. It could be a bit of both. <laughs> I'm sorry. So they passed it, and because they had seen run-on gun stores before, the normal process, there's 30 days for the General Assembly to transmit it to the governor. The governor has 60 days to sign it. Yeah. They, they passed it that afternoon, and at 8 o'clock that evening, the governor was signing it. And they had a clause in there that said any firearm transfer where the paperwork had been done and the background check had been called in was allowed to be completed. That was it. At that, up until that time. Uh, at that yeah. moment, the moment his pen hit the paper, all sales of new magazine-fed semi-automatics ceased. Magazines over 10 rounds for rifles, 15 rounds for pistols, 10 rounds for shotguns ceased. Um, and then they, there's other things that kick in in 90 days as far as you can't transport a magazine over 15 rounds for a pistol on a public way. So you can't carry a Glock 17 with a full-size mag in it. On, even, on, though, even though you owned the mag before? Yeah, can't carry it on a public way. You have to unload it, put it in a case. Now, what, what do you mean by a public way? What is a public way? Is that like it's a road? Off, yeah. yeah, off of private property. Oh, you can't leave your private property? Oh, my God. You, you can go to other private property with express permission, okay? Express permission, right. like in writing. Right. Like what you they're trying to do at New York with the carry. You can only carry in there. Whether they, uh, they tried it with California as well, and it's, it's a, I think it's going to be a zombie bill. They're going to give it another shot. So Right. So uh, in order to transport a magazine, you can use it at the range. They, they graciously let us do that. You can use it at the range, but you have to unload it. You can't have it loaded in transport. It must be in a case. It's like transporting a firearm. And, and there's other parts of this bill we're not talking about just yet because our wonderful lawyer here, Mr. Michelle, um, is going to do some creative writing and explain to them just how far off the reservation they got. And they didn't ban what they thought they were banning. It's much broader than what they anticipated, because in the world in the world of you know English, words mean things. Shockingly, you know, you were showing me some of the text here, and I, I don't know whether we can talk about it or not, but that simple things like springs, sure, sandpaper, right under the tool well, deal. There's a. I mean, that's just nuts. There's a component that deals with switches, FRPs, you know, things that are. Designed to simulate full auto fire, but not quite get there. Okay, so what's an FRP? One of those forced reset triggers. Thank you. I just wanted to make sure we just said it so somebody doesn't have to go, what the hell is an FRP? No, okay. Uh, <laughs> there you go. So with that, in trying to prevent people from amassing those or building those themselves or whatever, in the definition of prohibited items, they included tools. With no other definition. So the, it's anything. Just, it's just the term tool. You saw it. I showed it to you. Uh, it's, it's everything. So they're trying to get after anything that makes a semi-auto shoot faster. But they haven't delineated. They're, they're trying to get at the pseudo full auto, but they haven't delineated what that actually means because they say if it makes it go faster, well, shorter reset, lighter trigger pull, you know, smoothing out the action. So in Taking the, one of Jerry Metzlick's classes on how to move your finger faster? Yeah, I guess. <laughs> so with yeah, all, right, right. With, well, some might qualify him as a machine, you know. The question then becomes, 
if I use a hammer to punch to knock the pins out on a Glock so I can put a different trigger bar in there to shorten the reset and make me shoot better, are those, is that hammer and punch now illegal? It sounds like it. Yeah, it sounds like it. That's crazy. So we've outlined, we're outlying hammers, punches, pliers, wrenches. Sand, if you want to do a trigger job, mm-hmm. stones, jeweler's rouge you mentioned earlier, yeah. sandpaper. Uh, it's nuts. Now, how, what are you, what, how are you mixed up in this? So I'm the president. Are you the troublemaker that wrote this law? Oh, yeah, right. Right. I, I, was, I, I was behind the scenes giving <laughs> them all yeah, kinds right. of You're advice. You're giving them all kinds of advice, right. Uh, so I'm the president of the largest uh, private gun club in Illinois, Aurora Sportsman's Club. We're 2,700 members. Wow. And uh, we got 300 acres. We're doing all kinds of stuff, which I'd be love to talk about at a different time. But obviously, we're, we're into it. It's very hard for us to exist with, with yeah. this kind of law in place. Yeah. Uh, it's going to really reduce the opportunities for sporting purposes and training and all that kind of stuff uh, out at our club. So you know, we're in it to, to get it, the rights of our members restored. Uh, so uh, before you go any further, let me ask something. I, know, I think I know the answer. So often these laws are not, the end goal is not what they're trying to do with the immediate law. I mean, it, that, that has to have a horrible effect on your members on gun owners in general and their right to even go to the range and shoot. And, I, and I, you know, maybe, Chuck, you can jump in here, but it seems to me like there's a larger goal here, which is just to, if I'm a conspiracy theorist, just go ahead and say so. It seems to me there's a larger goal here to just destroy the Second Amendment culture in this country one piece at a time. Yeah. Well, maybe more than one piece at a time. I mean, they, they intentionally, and this has been going on for decades California is the moldy petri dish of these bad gun control law ideas, and, and Illinois has taken a page out of their playbook and then really beefed it up, tried to figure everything that people in California did to comply with that law and then cut them off so they couldn't comply, so like magazine repair kits and, and, and things like that. But uh, their goal is they don't care if it covers more than they say it's going to care. You know, they're, they're going to do a, a press release that says we're banning you know, bump stocks, when in reality it bans any trigger job. You know what I mean? They, they don't care. The more they can confuse people, they can, then they can scare people and, def, and dis, discourage people from getting involved in the shoot, shooting sports or choosing to buy a gun to defend themselves or their family because the law is so complicated, they're afraid they might accidentally violate it. And that's the legacy of most of the gun laws in California is that you've got accidental felons. Some guy had a gun in his, in his gun safe for 20 years, and overnight at the stroke of a politician's pen, it became a quote-unquote assault weapon, and him a felon in the process. That's, that's the fear campaign, the campaign of shame, you know, demonize gun owners, blame them for the misuse of, of firearms by violent criminals, and discourage gun ownership and eliminate the gun culture, because the gun culture, freedom-loving gun culture, my peeps, are uh, a political threat. That they're, that if they ever really wake up and become a voting block, and that's what may happen as they get more and more extreme in more and more states, uh, they can, you know, they can take back the government. So uh, they don't want us to be. They don't want us to have gun shows. They don't want us to. Have, they don't want to be any gun stores. They don't want there to be gun ranges. They don't want to be any place where gun owners can get together and talk about how much fun the shooting sports are, or or how valuable a firearm can be for defending your family. Well, I'll take it a step further. I think it started with Hunter Ed. I think the minute they started putting Hunter education requirements on and demanding that people go through this government-approved program in order to hunt, the minute it gets harder to pick up a shotgun 
or a rifle and go hunting with all the permitting and all the lotteries and all that kind of stuff, you start destroying the hunting culture. I mean, once upon a time in our state, even as screwed up as Illinois is, it wasn't uncommon to find kids that had a shotgun in the back of the pickup truck and they went hunting after they got out of school. Yeah. And so I think that, yeah, they, they don't like it when we congregate. They don't like the heritage that gets passed down. It goes against pretty much everything they want with self-sufficient individuals. I don't think it's conspiracy theory. I just think they want everybody with their hand out for something. And the less that, the more that they can get in through government regulation, because if you're a 50-year-old man and you've never hunted before in your life, in the state of Illinois, you cannot pick up a shotgun and go out with your buddies and go hunting. You have to get a license. In order to get a license, you have to have the hunter ag course. Right. Tell me, you know, why? Well, first of all, I wish I was a 50-year-old man. <laughs> I haven't been able to call the 50s my own for a very, very long time. But the same is true in California. When I was a kid, it was very common for my coaches in high school to go hunt ducks or whatever and then come to school after they'd hunted in the morning park their vehicle in the teacher parking lot with the gun in the truck. It was a normal thing. But in California, we just don't see that. Maybe maybe somewhere in a rural county. But, I mean, I, I live in San Diego County, and you can imagine. Can you imagine that happening now, Chuck, in San Diego County? They, 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 the SWAT team would roll out. Exactly. When I was a kid growing, and everything else. When I was a kid growing up in rural New Jersey, I would walk off my back porch into the woods behind my house to go squirrel hunting or whatever. Yeah. And, uh, uh you know, the neighbors would be like, you know, good luck, get get, get something. Now, they would call the SWAT team on a high school kid walking back into the woods with a, gun, with a shotgun. But this is, people need to realize that this is, this is not Illinois acting alone. This is not California acting alone. It's not Oregon acting alone. Are these guys talking to each other? I mean, it's yeah. like a Hell team thing. Oh yeah. And huh. they've got Bloomberg's lawyers facilitating that intercommunication between all these folks. I just saw the Colorado bill. And I thought I saw some glaring similarities to what Illinois just passed. Yeah. They've got three states teed up that they say they want to go after next since Illinois was eight, eight and one. Yeah. Uh, and, you know, they're going to they're going to try it. Colorado is certainly on the docket. I don't think it's going to be that uncommon to see some of the same language you just saw here and the same methods employed um, to get it done. How do we squash this crap? You got to sue them. You got to sue, sue, sue. And that's what's happening in Illinois. It, it happened in Oregon. A bunch of people jumped, jumped in on that one. We've got a multiple, uh, a, bu- a bunch of lawsuits going on in California. And now Illinois is uh, uh, kind of organizing and getting its act together. Uh, there'll probably be, there, there's already three lawsuits filed, one federal, two state court. And we've got another one coming. Uh, we're finalizing the complaint this week. We'll be filing it by Friday. And uh, it's a coalition of self-defense, civil rights advocacy groups, folks that believe in the freedom to uh, buy and sell a firearm to people who want to buy one. Who, uh, and uh, so there, there may be more. Who knows? Uh, we try and coordinate the best we can. But uh, the bottom line is uh, there's a lot of people who are upset by this bill, a lot of folks who are ready to fight back and try and knock it out. And, and that's what we're going to do, uh, and, and the other groups too, but we're going to make every effort to, to, to knock out. It may take, it's probably going to take more than one lawsuit because you've got the guns that are mis, now mischaracterized as assault weapons. You've got magazine capacity limitations. You've got travel bans on, you know, the public ways. You can't take a gun. You know, it's, 
so you have to go to court. And we, thankfully, we have the Bruin decision from the United States Supreme yeah, Court, thank God. which has given us a new uh, hammer of justice, so to speak, Thor's yeah. hammer of justice, right. to bring down on uh, the politicians who try and push this stuff. But I, I frankly think a lot of them know they're going to get sued. They know that there's a good chance they don't they're going to lose. They don't, they don't care. care. They're playing with somebody else's money and somebody else's lives, and they do not care. But yeah. as Chuck said with New York, um, back in November, there was a case called Atkinson, which was being argued in front of the Seventh Circuit Court of Appeals, in, which is, covers Illinois. And in that case, you had a nonviolent felon was trying to seek to get his rights restored. The Department of Justice was there to oppose it. The trial court had said no. Court of Appeals. In that oral arguments, the audio is online. The Chief Justice looked down at the government lawyer, who was not doing a very good job, and sat there and said, the Supreme Court has said the Second Amendment is no longer a second-class right. It is a supercharged right. She, I'm what, was the, what was the attorney's response? Uh, he stumbled along, and they were literally throwing at him, ask for more time to write another brief, and we'll give it to you. I mean, they were all but pleading. He goes, no, I think our stuff is good enough. And another judge sat there and said, the Supreme Court issued a reset of the table. And was pleading with them. And he said, well, the Second Amendment is about law-abiding citizens. And th this male judge, Judge Scudder, said, said, time out. I don't think you can just sign us up carte blanche for that because the Supreme Court has changed things. And so you, here you have the chief judge of the Court of Appeals, who was also one of the judges that ruled very favorably in the two Azell cases back in the day when Chicago was banning ranges and the like. And they came up with the right to train and maintain proficiency was, in, was covered under the text of the Second Amendment. So we have some legal theories we're working on with Chuck to we think that our cases may be one of the best enumeration of what the text of the Second Amendment contains and how to build on that. So we're, we're not looking at the gun ban here. We're, we're looking in a three-dimensional chessboard down the road, how this is going to be something that is as big as Azell was for when it pronounced the right to maintain. And, and Well, and I think you've brought up something very – I would love to have your perspective on this. Every time these things happen, and they happen a lot, as you know, the legislatures get together and they pass these nonsense, stupid laws. And, they, and right now, particularly in states like California, Illinois, New Jersey, New York, whatever, they seem to be going as far to one degree. They've swung the pendulum as far as they can in one direction. And then we knock them down. Now when I see these, I used to get kind of freaked out about them, to be honest with you. And now I started looking at them going, yeah, it's going to cost money. It's going to take time to defeat them. But doesn't that, don't we have an opportunity with some of those to set some killer precedents and, yes. actually, and actually extract a, a serious win out of what begins to look like a bit of a defeat. Yeah. I mean, that's the, I think the Bruin case actually typifies that. So we got a serious win. A public carry cannot be restricted to those with some kind of a special need. It's not a, it's, I mean, it's not a privilege. It's a right. But then the states, in response to the – the question is how much wiggle, how much conniving can, this, the, can the governments do to try and get around one of those precedents? So in the CCW situation – so now you have a right to get a permit to carry in public, 
but so now they're going to make it as hard to get it as possible, set up all kinds of barriers, and then limit the places where the CCW is valid. That's the blue resistance to those kinds of precedents. That's so what we're seeing in California right now. Other with, places, right? But that's just an example. I mean, they will continue whatever precedent we get. They will send the Bloomberg team, Pima lawyers in there to tear it apart, you know, yeah. and dissect every word and figure out, well, what can we still do? Because we'll do that to harass them. We won't give up. But it's worse than that. Number one, New York, while everybody looks at the carry portion in New York, which was significant, the bigger part of that was they enumerated a standard of review. They reinforced right. what Heller said. We know of no other enumerated constitutional rights subjected to a freestanding interest balancing approach. Right. That that was to me what the the whether it was the New York travel ban or New York uh, with the Kerry case was always about getting them to elicit the standard of review to check the lower yeah, to courts. get rid of intermediate scrutiny and, and, and strict scrutiny and all that and, 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 and rational basis and all that kind of crap and that's where I thought that's where I think we are here with a series of things that they've pushed back obviously we've got St. Benita's out in California okay now I got a question about it. Eric you've been very quiet over here I got to let you say something it's otherwise okay. people are going to think you're the you know you know you're just a sock puppet over here and you're I told you I'm the one who's here to look good. well there you go <laughs> and, and you know you're doing a fine job <laughs> of it I gotta tell you so that brings up an interesting fact. You mentioned St. Benitez. You're in Illinois. If, Saint Be- if Judge Benitez does what we expect he's going to do, and probably pretty soon in some of these cases, it's obviously in a different circuit. But, does, but if we get a good decision there, does that actually help us in places like yeah, Illinois? Yeah, it's, it's persuasive authority. There's a difference between mandatory authority and persuasive authority. When the Supreme Court says something, that's mandatory authority on every co- federal court in the country. When the Ninth Circuit says something, if, it, if you like the way you reason, they reasoned it, you cite it in the Second Circuit and say, look, their logic was sound. You should adopt their logic. It basically becomes uh, pers- something that you can use to persuade the, another court, but the court isn't bound to do what, what another circuit says. So That's cer- when the Supreme Court jumps in, so when you cer- get a split. So just for the, the, the non-court watchers in the room, <laughs> I may be one of those. I don't think I am, but I might be. When a circuit, a Ninth Circuit, for example, makes a decision, then that's that the courts below that and the, and the, within in the, the states circuit. that are in the Ninth Circuit, that becomes they're bound by that. that's mandatory that. authority on the lower courts. But they're not bound in it by it in states that do not fall under the Ninth Circuit. Correct. The, a Ninth Circuit ruling does not bind district courts in any other circuit. But but don't forget that. But it's persuasive. When right. Azell came out, that was one of the original two-part test case. That's where they enumerated and elicited this two-part test that the other courts kind of, you know, screwed up. So when you're talking about the two-part test, you're talking about the Supreme Court basically said in Bruin, if I'm correct, and please correct me if I'm wrong, that if the conduct conduct in question, if the text of the right, if the conduct in question is covered by the the text and scope of the right, then it's presumptively constitutional. Correct. And then if there's a question beyond that, then they have to find an analogous law somewhere between well, 1791 and all that. That's, that's the new test. test. That's the new test. Yeah. But the old test is where we got interest balancing. Was it part of the right and all this other stuff? And yeah. how much of an infringement was it on the right? Does it deserve strict scrutiny? And that's all the scrutiny and the interest balancing crap yeah. that we used to have to live with. It, it was a twist on a First Amendment analysis. So, okay. like, in the First Amendment, if if you have something that's truly obscene, you know, or, or, or screaming fire in a crowded theater. It's not covered by 
the First Amendment, so you never even get to the second level of scrutiny. It's just excluded. So this was the games that the courts could use. They could say, oh, well, this particular, you know, a magazine ban, oh, that's not an arm. So you're not even covered by the Second Amendment. We don't have to get into tiers of scrutiny. It's just excluded. But that, you know, so, 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 Chuck, where are we now? So explain it in English, please. How does it work now after now, Bruin? Now, now what you've got is that it, it does the plain language of the Second Amendment cover the conduct. And in, in 99% of the cases, they can't really get around that. It does. especially. Now, is that the plain language of the amendment as it was, as it was understood the day it was written? No, as the actual te- – remember, the, the, the originalism test is text, history, and tradition. So the first thing you do is look at the text. The text of the Second Amendment says what it says. And what, does it, and what it meant when it was written, not some colorful That's thing they that, can say about well, it now. Well, te- text itself – doesn't necessarily have an intention. That's where you have history and tradition, which gets into what was the intent. It basically, it's what would the founders have tolerated in terms of gun control when they passed the Second Amendment that said this? In 1791. Or at the time of the 14th Amendment when it was ratified. In 1865. Yeah, right. yeah. And so that's the step one. And that's Didn't think I knew that, did you, Todd? Some guys go to 1868. And ah, anyway, go ahead. Maybe it is 1868. I don't know. I'm oh, <laughs> you're, you're right in 65. I'm just making stuff up as I go. Go ahead, Chuck. I'm sorry. Anyway, so, <laughs> so that's usually not a problem to get over that. Then you get, if that happens, if it's the Second Amendment covers the conduct, then the second part, it's not really a two-part test. It's just, is it covered? If it's covered, then the test is, is there a historical analog? The significant part of that is the burden shifts to the state. And so the state has to show that there is some historical law that the founders would have tolerated that is an an indication that they would tolerate whatever the modern-day equivalent of that historical law was. But the state has to prove that. Yes, it's the state's burden. But here's where we're going to get into another, probably another Supreme Court case. Because the states are now saying, they're saying, you know, this... uh, uh, this 14th Amendment era mousetrap law, you know, that, that, that banned mousetra- assault mousetraps, right. that shows the state can ban things that it deems to be hyper-dangerous. You know, they're going after Bowie knives. They're yeah. using Bowie knife laws. We talked about this. You can't have a Bowie knife that's more than a 10-cut Bowie knife. <laughs> right, if it right. makes more than 10 cuts, you can't carry that. It's a high-capacity <laughs> Bowie, high Bowie knife. It's a high-capacity Bowie knife. It's a 10-mousetrap. Ten, ten you can't do that. That's so it. those kind of stretches, <laughs> the, states are de- the state governments are desperately trying to come up with something and then yeah. say, it's analogous. So the question is going to be, what what is and what is not actually analogous? How do we define and you, that, right? Well, you can look at, you just have to start with what Thomas said, because in New York, in the, New, in the Bruin case, the New York State came up with a bunch of things that they said were analogous, which should be enough to justify the New York CCW special pr- privilege law. And the, the Supreme Court rejected those, that those aren't legitimate analogies. But that isn't, that, that didn't, you can't address every single possible analogy in one case. So this, some of this was left open. So we'll have to litigate that so when you're looking at this nonsense from illinois then the attorneys the government attorneys have to understand this they have to know that the stuff they're writing has no analogy has no analogous i don't even law know if, i don't even know if the government attorneys wrote it i wouldn't be surprised if yeah. bloomberg's lawyers yeah, wrote it i think it all came from the backside. But again, whoever wrote it has to understand there's no, there's no analogous law. Well, their favorite saying is don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. In other words, if we got some collateral damage. Wait, 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 say that again? Don't let the perfect be the enemy of the good. Oh, okay. So if we got some collateral damage because some gra- grandfather goes to jail because his gun's all of a sudden an assault weapon, well, you know, it's a small price to pay for public safety. Oh, jeez. 
Okay, so where are we going? Where do we go from here to get this to kill this thing, Todd? What are we doing? Well, Eric is one of the leaders of our coalition. Okay, so, Eric. What so are we doing? we're the Illinois. Gun he speaks. Wow. Yay! Look at that. Todd, Todd, Todd squeezing below the table. Let me know it was my turn. <laughs> the first, it was a two-test thing. The first test was: Does he actually move? And if he moves, does he speak? And he passed both tests. Well, one of, one of the real tests for. Uh, of intelligence is knowing when to speak and when to be quiet, right? And let the people who know uh, that's that. Tr that's a good lesson for a lot of lawyers right there. Right? Yeah, I probably should learn that lesson as the uh, host of the show, but that's, a, you know, that's, that's, okay. that's another thing. Uh, uh, right, so we're the Illinois Gun Rights Alliance. Uh, it's made up of Aurora Sportsman's Club, uh, the FFL Illinois Organization, which is the, the, the Dealers Association in Illinois, uh, and Gun Save Life. We're the, the primary founding members, and we brought GOA on board just a few days ago. Uh, they're helping us out as well, and uh, we're we're working with Chuck to develop a strategy to beat all this stuff. Uh, you will see us uh, within just probably the next 48 hours, uh, putting putting our suits in and filing those. And uh, we we have a long-term vision for where this is going to go. Okay, we we so want to beat I, this, and we yeah. want to beat whatever comes after. Come this. on, brother, that's what I'm talking about. Okay, so what I'm seeing now, you guys tell me if I'm wrong here, but it seems to me like since particularly since Bruin, there's more, it seems to me there's more collaboration than there used to be between organizations, or is it just me? Because you mentioned you're bringing on GOA. you got Chuck here. I mean, it's just, are, well, are, we, more, are we working together at, at more than we were before, different organizations, uh, or are we bit, still at odds a, a lot? No, a bit more, a bit more. Not, it's, uh, you know, we're all rugged individualists with our own opinions. We're cross-purposes so sometimes so, as a result, and that's well, the problem. I, all right, I'm... Go ahead and, you know, I, you I, can I, say what you want. Go ahead. I'll just say before going, the, the lawyers, the lawyers that are working on these cases, the, the, there's a couple, three, four big firms yeah. that, are, that are working on most of these cases across the country. And we're all in, all in communication sharing our work to, to oh, help all of the mutual clients. And the angels started singing just yeah. now when you said that, just so that you know. I, I was the contract lobbyist for NRA in Illinois for 25 years. Yeah. And so with their dumpster fire of whatever is happening there. Yeah, who knows? I don't know. I, don't. I think that there, in a lot of places, people have seen them being taken off the playing field. Mm. And because of that, without that one uh, giant ogre <laughs> of an organization that kind of came in and uh, in the lobbying world and everything, and they handled in back in the day, a uh, departed dear friend of ours, Chris Conti, was the real guy behind. He was behind the New York lawsuit. And he handled a number of lawsuits with me in Chicago and pushing back on their stuff uh, when they wanted to have a wouldn't give a black man a gun permit because he had a misdemeanor thing from way back when that was the Gowder case. But their absence, you know, leadership abhors a vacuum. Yeah. And so that vacuum has been created, and we are reaching out. Eric is a great president, and is taking on this mantle with some other groups to sit there, and that's why. Yeah. Yeah, we're, we're, so, we're reluctant participants, right? I, I run a gun club. I wasn't elected by my members to fight lawsuits, right, right? unless right. it impacted us directly. Right. But as Todd said, they're, 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 we perceived a vacuum, right? And if we want to keep the culture and we want to hand it down to our kids, this is a culture fight. You bet it right? is. It's just, you know, you, you, you can look at it, at, oh, yeah, there's a magazine ban or whatever it is. That's not what this is, Right. I've got kids, and I'm going to have grandkids, and I'll be damned if I am going to leave them in yeah. a place right. where they can enjoy this is about the a liberties that were given to us. Our right. kids, we're not going to do it. 
our kids grew up shooting ARs together and running and gunning in a program our gun club has that you don't see anywhere else. My son was 13 years old walking around, you know, with his own AR and, you know, hanging out with a group of 30 and 40-year-old guys, you know, competing and out shooting SWAT guys at times. Well, you know, my kids, I... I started shooting when I was five. I think, Nick, did you start? Now, you can't see him on camera. I apologize. You can't hear him. Were you five or six when you started shooting? Five, I thought. I don't know, whatever. You don't remember. I think five and my daughter started shooting at six. And so yeah. this is, it, you're right. It's a, it's, I'm going to say it in a different way. It's a culture fight. It's a way of life fight. Remember, there's two. Firearms are a part of the American way of life, yeah. and they're working very hard to destroy that. Exactly. And it teaches young people and, responsibility, and, and, right, and, and how to taking boys and turning them into men because that is how they they come out and they observe how men treat each other and they are indoctrinated into that culture i saw i saw a text from somebody today or not a text a tweet from somebody this morning on twitter and she typed this i think i'm paraphrasing it because i don't have it to show you but she said uh weak arms and a pregnant belly today and it was like an equal sign the men, the men of today, today, the young men of today, or something like that, was at weak arms and a pregnant belly, and and you know the image is terrible, but I think the the uh, the statement covers more than just the description, the so physical description. The gun ban lobby calls that toxic masculinity. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah, okay. <laughs> That's how they lobbied against gun shows. Yeah. We don't want children seeing that kind of thing. It, cre- yeah. it cre- breeds toxic masculinity. Yeah, apparently I'm toxic. But so what, we so all are. <laughs> let, let me make t- two other points. Yeah, First please. is that, you know, the lawsuits are critical. They're happening in every state. The lawyers are talking to each other. The groups are talking to each other. The, the individual groups are talking to each other more than they ever have before. And one of the things that, that CRPA, uh, as the largest state association in the country, is trying to do is lend its expertise, lend its experience uh, in, in uh, de- developing operations, fundraising, right. administration, uh, uh, coalition building, all that stuff to any state association in the country that could benefit of it, benefit from it, because we, all of us, are on the same page here. We're all part of history right now, right. and we're all trying to fight for that that tradition and that culture. And the more influence all of the, each of those state associations or groups uh, have the better off for all of us. So, uh, you know, get, if you're in a state where they have a state association, you should join it uh, and, uh, and get behind it. And, uh, and CRPA will continue to try and develop that, and the lawyers will continue to try and keep uh, knocking all this baloney out uh, in court. And in the meantime, anybody who's part of this, whether it's because you're volunteering your time or you're sending a couple of bucks in or you're a plaintiff in the lawsuit or whatever you're doing, you, you are literally a part of history right now. We are at a crossroads on the Second Amendment. It took us a long time to get from McDonald to Bruin. I don't think it's going to take that long to get the next case out of the Supreme Court, but it, it's it's going to dictate the way we live, you know, uh, for 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 many years, decades at least. So I love that statement, and I and then we need to wrap up because we're getting a little bit long here. So I'm going to give you guys each a last word. I think it's it's vitally important. For gun owners or Americans in general, whether even if you even if, even if you're not a gun owner, if you're not a gun owner but you support the rights American people American people have that are God-given rights or natural rights, whatever you want to call them, then it's important that you get involved in this effort to save our constitutionally protected rights. 
because you're right. I mean, we can look, we can took history class, we can look at history, and we can think of all the heroes of history. We can probably name them. You know, Paul Revere's ride, which, by the way, was about guns. And, you know, it wasn't about, uh, and he didn't say the British were coming because they were all British at the time. <laughs> but nevertheless, you know, we think about all these heroes in our country who fought for the, for the, for the, establishment of the country in the first place and we think about the greatest generation who went to war to save the world now is our time and this is our fight and that doesn't mean we get a rifle and we go start you know being violent but this is this is a different kind of a fight it's fight for Ameri- it's a fight for america's soul it's a fight for the soul of this country and it when we're either involved in it or we're spectators and we got to get up off our butts and out of our armchairs and get involved in it we can't be spectators anymore because if we are, we will lose the heart and soul of this country. Yeah. And that's the thing that I think needs to be driven home as sharply as possible. But I'll shut up here. We need to wrap up. Last word, go. So I'm going to leap off of what you said and tie it back to this. The, I'm very uh, heartened by the response we've gotten from this. As the president of the largest gun club in Illinois, I can tell you our applications for membership since this hit are through the roof. Oh, amen. Right? That's they've awesome. gone up. They've gone up almost 300%. Wow, really? Right? That's that's weeks. very encouraging. Right? So that's, that's great. People want to be involved. They, they recognize what's going on, and they don't want to be left out. Yeah. Right? The other thing is we've got the uh, Illinois Gun Rights Alliance website, org. Okay, say it more slowly. I-L- G-R-A, Illinois Gun Rights Alliance dot org, dot O-R-G. Okay, so now, you, now if right. you're listening, you can find it. All right, go okay. ahead. Okay, and uh, the the feedback, we've got a feedback form on there that we're getting. Just my, my email box is full every time I look at it from people saying, how can I help? I want to get involved. Well, see, that's incredibly encouraging. All right, Todd, last word, go. This thing is broader than people understand because there's a part section contained in this that bans the sale of any part or component that can be used to build a prohibited firearm so right now you can't sell a detent spring to repair your ar in the state of illinois and this is going to be coming to a state near you whether it's colorado minnesota oregon washington any of those ones where they're they're trending bluish or whatever and this is what they want they want to make it this incredibly difficult to repair your gun keep it you know you have we have to register our stuff they're telling us uh, in order to keep what we have. And uh, you can find my testimony in front of the committee. And I told them, the beauty of it is, we've had over 80 sheriffs stand up and say they're not going to enforce this law. I love it. That's great. All right, Chuck, go. Last, last word. So uh, we had a couple of, I wouldn't call them lucky, good breaks in the last couple of years. One was the Bruin decision. That's obviously paramount. But also, all the new gun owners joining the joining the team, coming on board. Yeah. Uh, if buying the gun is the first step toward learning about gun politics, and all those folks are now becoming more and more engaged, they're getting training, they're learning things. So, uh, that's those are two good signs. People always ask me at the end of these interviews. You know, uh, I, I think there's a sort of a pessimism out there among some factions, and I, I tell them, look, the, the Heller was the end of the beginning. Mm-hmm. There was this long fight about militia versus individual rights. Heller was the end of the beginning. Then we had the middle for like 12 years where we floundered around and there was a million lawsuits filed and most of them lost. And the Second Amendment, the test was was twisted by courts who didn't want anybody to ever win a Second Amendment fight. Uh, 
and now we're, I think, at the beginning of the, of the end. It's never going to, f- you know, even in any kind of First Amendment or any other jurisprudence, it never really ends. There's always finer and finer and finer points that have to be litigated. But we're coming to the point where certain laws are going to either stand or fall. So, you know, the big playing laws that the, that the anti-gun owner politicians want to push. And so though I expect those to fall. And that is, that, that, that is reason for optimism. That is reason for hope. We just stand behind us, get behind us, stand with us, I should say, uh, and, uh, and, and fight back. Join, support, vote. Uh, donate. Donate. Subscribe. Right? Subscribe, right? Yep. I mean, those are the things that you can do. I, I think, you know, we, we always talk about great, you know, people will joke around about, you know, the, their favorite football team or their unfavorite football team snatching defeat from the jaws of victory. Or they'll talk about, we snatched victory from the jaws of defeat. Look, at this point, I think you're exactly right. We're about to snatch bigger victories from the jaws of victory. Yeah, but you can't mail it in. No, and you can't phone it in. We've got to actually do the work. And so I really appreciate you, gentlemen. Thank you so very much for coming on the show. Great to meet you. I really appreciate it. And Chuck, you're Always looking fun, brother. brilliant, brother. Yeah, yeah, keep telling me I lose weight. I'll come on anytime. All right, anytime. <laughs> <laughs> All right, thanks, guys. I really appreciate it. Thank you. Thank you again for listening to the entire interview. Have a wonderful week. I look forward to posting the next interview from SHOT Show, in addition to our regular podcast here on your favorite podcast player. Stay safe. You've been listening to the Gun Guy TV podcast. 